Good morning, everybody. This is Victoria, your jaw guru, and today we're having another episode of Coffee and Canines. It's a beautiful day out, and I'm in a fantastic mood, so let's get right into it. Our first question comes all the way from Minnesota, and Karen Shields asks, what is the best way to introduce a new puppy to our senior dog? We are planning to rescue a lab Great Dane mix, and he's already quite a bit larger than our senior dog. Great question, Karen. So the first thing I would do if you haven't already done this is do a neutral ground meet and greet and make sure that your older dog is at least exposed to this dog on neutral territory prior to him joining your actual home. Make sure that generally there's no red flags, nothing that would make you assume that this dog may be a little too much for your older dog because senior dogs, well, I I look at it two ways. First of all, I feel like they have seniority, not just by age, but they, they were there first. So you need to be considerate of if she's tolerant of having a new dog. She may be, she may not be. Um, so that's the first thing you want to do is expose them on neutral ground. The next thing I would recommend is when you do bring him home to make sure that it's a stress-free, impact-free transition for both him and your older dog. Like I said earlier, you know, you want to be considerate of the fact that she is older and she's been here longer, but really to to control something from being overwhelming, you may do things like have them, uh, you know, separated by a baby gate so you can kind of control his actions and you can start training him, you know, setting a foundation with him getting into a routine with him. And I would never push them together because especially if she's a lot smaller than him, he could make a mistake and be trying to play with her and could really hurt her. So I always say, you know, until they've kind of gotten acclimated to one another in a safe manner, which a baby gate will will kind of create a safe barrier, I wouldn't just let him run around her because in all likelihood, she's not gonna have the best reaction. After a couple of weeks, which may seem like a long time, but it's better to be safe than sorry, and and the newness of your environment and having a senior dog in his presence has kind of worn off, that's when I would start doing supervised interactions where you're there, you know, your dog, your new dog is already starting to learn some cues. So you have a foundation to go on. And if he starts being a little too much for her, you can get him out of there because he's already starting to listen to you. You can always use a regular leash as well. If you feel like he might get too much into her space because you don't want this to be an abrasive experience for her, because that's when you get things that can be Honestly, just unsavory responses and reactions. And that's preventable if you do it in short periods in controlled ways. I would focus on doing that for two weeks. And you may think that this is taking everything a lot slower than you expected. But the thing is, is that when you have a senior dog, your first priority needs to be protecting the dog that's smaller and getting the other, the new dog acclimated and used to your routine and being in her presence without it being a risk to either of them. So don't rush the process. You know, in the very beginning, just get them aware of one another. You can even take um, like an old t-shirt or something that smells like you and smells like your other dog, your older dog, and let her sleep on it for a day or two and then share it with your Great Dane lab mix and let him sleep with it so that he's got 
an association with her without her even being present, which will enable a better reaction because it won't be, oh, I have to smell her because he already knows what she smells like. I don't know if either dog in this particular situation is dominant, but I will warn you that every new multi-dog dynamic breeds a hierarchy, meaning that at soon at some point she's going to try and let him know, well, this is my house and you're a newbie here. So keep that in mind. And that's one of the reasons why you need to supervise interaction. You don't want to just leave them together and hope everything goes fine because he could swat a paw, you know, just trying to be playful and incite a game and it could injure her. Not only because she's old, but she's a lot smaller than he is. Also, if she has a favorite spot in the house, I would make sure that he steers clear of that spot. She needs something that makes her feel secure, kind of like her own little oasis in the midst of all this change. And he can view her from afar and get used to her with a little bit of space between them and making sure that he has an understanding that that's her place, don't interfere with her, when she's over there. So this way there's kind of a boundary that you're setting physically, even when there isn't a baby gate between them or a leash on him. Think of her favorite spot as her own bedroom and as if she's a teenager and she doesn't want anybody in her bedroom. She wants to enjoy her space, listen to her music, and from time to time forget that the outside world exists. And this includes him. So while you are trying to get them to bond, you're not forcing it. And keep the interaction and the exposure brief, because if anything's going to occur, it's going to happen within the first 10 minutes, sometimes a lot shorter than that, sometimes within the first 30 seconds. But to be on the safe side, do constant supervised interactions is a really good idea if you work on training with your larger dog. While it's in her presence, but you know you still have the control of him being on the leash, so he's learning to listen to you despite her being right there. And that's really an excellent skill because when you have an older dog who's not at all interested in doing everything this big young dog wants to do, you really need that resource. You need the ability to be able to stop an interaction if it starts going south. She needs to see that you're taking an authoritative not an aggressive, but an authoritative role so that she doesn't try to set some severe boundaries because she can't really trust that anybody's going to protect her. When they are interacting, give them both a lot of praise because this can be a trigger for dogs, you know, one getting more attention than the other. So make sure it's kind of like an even share. Uh, If you ever feel like she's getting overwhelmed or nervous, end the interaction immediately. She's trying to send you a message. And rather than letting her get to an inflammatory state and an elevated state of restlessness or discomfort, it's best to just stop where you're at and try again in another hour, two hours, maybe later in the afternoon, what have you. And one more tip that I'd want to share with you is make sure that they're eating in separate places. I want her to know that her food is not up for grabs. And I want him to know that you have a system in place and that never the two shall meet. So this way you kind of head off things like food aggression or an accidental 
dog fight that could have been avoided because she's trying to protect the food that's been in the same place her whole life. And here he is, hungry monkey, and he horns in on her meal. Some dogs can be permissive of that, but generally they're not. You know, they it's just like if someone were that you didn't know was coming over and trying to steal your chocolate cake right off your plate. And you're like, what 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 is all this? So Try and keep perspective. Make sure that their spaces are separate, that there's a nice wide berth between one another so that she doesn't feel any sort of tension while she's eating because that can cause anxiety. And then also so that he knows, okay, this is my spot, this is where I eat. And by making it a consistent process and making it normal, he just will not bother with her given some time. When he is trying to kind of drift away from his food, maybe just to test her or to test you, go ahead and just calmly go over here and indicate his bowl. So in a really friendly way, you're just reminding him, no, 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 this is yours over here. You don't have to mess with hers. If he's hungry, we'll feed him more. And he's going to be a growing boy, so he's going to need to eat and consume a significant amount of food to support his development. So if you ever notice that he's kind of sniffing around the house and he looks like he's trying to eat random things or perhaps he's sniffing at the dog food, I would assume that he's hungry and I'd add to his diet a little bit. And I always do that with like a quarter cup to a half a cup at a time. I don't overdo it because a quarter of a cup can make all the difference, even though he's a big boy. Okay, our next question comes from Lydia Klein in California and she asks... How often does a new puppy need to go outside to relieve themselves? That's a great question. Um, First of all, I have to kind of be honest and say it varies. You know, if you have a dog with a much, much larger metabolism, they can typically hold it longer at a younger age, but I have a general rule of thumb, uh, regardless of size of dog, which is however many months old they are plus one is how many hours they could hold it on an empty stomach. That means no water, no food. Sticking with a routine will start getting your dog in the habit of anticipating when they're going to go out. And as they develop and you continue practicing that process and rewarding them when they go to the bathroom outside, you're going to get to a point where they already know that they should hold it because they're going to be going out soon. To give you an idea as to how I always start with a puppy, there's a handful of times throughout the day that they, from the very beginning, even before they're learning to hold it, they'll be able to expect that I'm going to let them out. For example, first thing in the morning when they wake up, about 30 minutes after a meal, or 20 minutes after consuming some water, so keep an eye on that. I like to let them out early afternoon, especially if it's a really young dog, because a lot of times they'll be taking a nap during the day, and when they wake up from their nap, they have to go to the bathroom. So sometimes that lines up with that early afternoon turnout. If not, you know, and your dog goes and takes a nap and you see him get up, more than likely he's got to go relieve himself, so go ahead and let him out. Then you might choose like a late afternoon time if you're available. The next predictable time that I would be turning a dog out would be after dinner. And then once before I go to sleep or before they turn in. So if you notice that at about eight o'clock they get tired and they go and lay down somewhere, that's a good time right before they get too settled in to go let them outside to make sure that they have an empty stomach and empty 
bladder so that, you know, at least you know that they're not trying to hold it all night. Because when they're puppies, you kind of have to define the difference between going to the bathroom inside anywhere and rewarding the process of him or her relieving himself outside and rewarding that over and over and over. You can pet them, you can give them treats, you can play a game with them, give them some sort of incentive to want to go outside. Also, you might want to break up the dog's access to food. Now with puppies, they can be prone to hypoglycemia. So you definitely, especially if you have a tiny dog, you'll have to feed them about three times a day. And depending on the age of dog, you may leave food down all day to begin with. So you, But in order to long-term predict when they have to go, you're probably going to break up those feedings. You know, you feed every morning at this time, you feed every afternoon at this time, you feed every evening at that time. And so this way you can kind of gauge when he's going to have to go out. Our next question comes from Jane Lewis from Ontario. Wow, I had no idea that we had listeners out there. That's awesome. Okay, so Jane says, I want to take my dog on a trip with me. How do I find a dog-friendly place to stay? What sort of things do I need to bring when traveling? Well, Jane, you're in good company because I have traveled all over the place with my dogs and I have lots of tips for this. So the first thing you want to do as far as finding a good location of where you can bring your dog you might go to bringfido.com. And it's I think they have an app as well, but it's a great resource. It shows, you know, dog-friendly restaurants, dog-friendly hotels, dog-friendly B&Bs kind of all across the US. So that's a great start. As far as what to bring with your dog, I don't know the age of your dog. But there's a few things I recommend. I would bring baby wipes. So this way, when you're walking through different environments, you can wipe their paws off because you never know what's in the ground where they're walking. And you certainly don't want him to contract any sort of illness when you're out and about and you're not near your normal vet. You're obviously going to want to bring his dog food. And I would even further recommend that you bring as much of it as you possibly can. And the reason I say that is while there are pet stores everywhere that may sell your exact brand of food, you know, it can really vary in re- from region to region what each batch is like. And you're already going to go through some transitions. So you don't want him to be adjusting to a food that you thought that he was used to. But since you bought it somewhere else, you're noticing some differences in his stool or things of that nature. I'm not saying that, you know, the food in one place is going to be worse than the other, but just, you know, keep what's familiar. You don't want to change things so much that he can't recognize any sort of normalcy. I mean, consistency on the road can make all the difference. Dogs like things that are predictable. So from their food to their walk time, all, all of that matters to them. Make sure he's up to date on all of his vaccines again, because of exposure, but also if he, if he doesn't have his rabies tags on him and you don't have a copy of those vet records, you can get fined, you can get ticketed. And in some cases, they, he, he wouldn't necessarily be admitted to where you want to stay or where you want to take him. Like, for example, if you wanted to take him on a plane, they're going to want to make sure that his rabies vaccination is current. So go ahead and make sure that those are up to date and that you have proof of them. Aside from just his tag, you definitely want to make sure you've got a hard copy of his vet records. Another thing that you're going to want to do is bring two leashes. Why do I say that? Well, I've had the unlucky 
hand of setting something down in a hotel room and then looking around and not being able to find it. It's like it evaporated into thin air. So I now, as a general rule, I keep two leashes per dog. So one I keep out in the room and I kind of like hang on the door so it's easy to find. And the other I'll always keep in my backpack or my purse or wherever I'm keeping my wallet. Because then if something happens to the original leash, I've got a backup. Make sure he has a secure collar with his name and your phone number. A brightly colored one can be preferable just because they're easier to see. And then I would bring a dog blanket, whatever he's used to that you can fit in your bag. Having a familiar piece of home on your within your travels as you're going from place to place and maybe you're, you're even hopping from hotel to hotel or environment to environment, it's a good idea to have something that he recognizes, like a favorite toy, a favorite blanket, something that's his, that if you lay it out, he knows he can go chill over there. So make sure he's got at least one toy that he knows and a nice blanket for him that smells like home. So this way he's going, okay, this is, everything's fine. Depending on your method of transportation, if you're not driving, for example, I would go ahead and make sure that he has relieved himself prior to being put on the plane or boarding the train. So this way his system has been emptied and he can be comfortable throughout the ride. And you don't have to be worried about him trying to hold it so desperately and worse off the, the unexpected accident. The last thing I'm going to recommend is bringing a dog cleaning agent with you. You know, something that you normally use to deodorize or clean at home. I'm not saying your dog's going to have an accident, but you know, traveling can cause a lot of different stress and their bodies can react differently to it, especially if it's something somewhat unfamiliar. So they can throw up, they can have diarrhea, things like that. So make sure you have a cleaning supply that works really well in your home. So this way, worst comes to worst, you've got it covered. Oh, and I almost forgot, you definitely want to bring doggy waste bags with you. I mean, be a good steward of the dog community. You don't want to outlaw having dogs at the place that you're visiting because you never picked up after your dog and ruin it for everybody else. So make sure you have your doggy waste bags and dispose of them in the waste receptacles, preferably away from the hotel you're staying in. I mean, as a pet parent, I just feel like that's taking responsibility for your animal. And, you know, I do feel like it's, a real privilege to be able to take my dogs everywhere. So I try and make sure that that privilege is kept intact for the person that comes after me by being a good steward of my dog. And our last question comes from Mark Stanford and Mark writes, what kind of leash do you recommend and why? Ooh, I like this question. Okay. So I actually like to keep things really simple. I don't get a big fancy leash. I do have a regular leather six foot leash, which I use most often. Uh, my dogs are both service animals, so I like it because it's flexible and I have trust and faith in it. I've actually had this one leather leash f and I've used it on every client and it's about 10 years old and it's still in fantastic condition. So I like that. Now you can do the same thing with a six foot nylon leash if you prefer. They come in lots of different colors. You can get them in any pet store. You can get them at Walmart. You can get them at the dollar store. But there's actually a reason that I like six foot leashes and why I prefer them to different lengths or the retractable leashes. And the reason for that is I have more of a connection from one end of the leash to the dog on the other. And that's a great management 
length. You know, the dog can't get too far ahead of me. They can't get too far away from me. And I have a connection with them at all times. They're not just off on their own. Now, if you're right in a big open field and you want the security of knowing the dog can't actually run off, then you might go with like a 50 foot line. But for general walking, a six foot, foot leash is preferable to me. Um, when I was working with clients, I would always tell them to just make sure they had a six foot leash. I don't like shorter leashes because that can cause tension depending on the height of the dog and the distance they are away from me. And with a six foot leash, you've got enough room for the dog to be at ease and kind of stretch out a bit and get a few steps ahead of you or behind you to check things out, but not so far away that you don't have any control. I mean, I, I, and I use that term really, really hesitantly because I don't mean to infer that I actually have like the leash really tight and, you know, I, I don't do that. I like to keep a nice loose leash. I teach the dog the skills of walking on a leash and I actually start it without a leash. I get the dog following me in the house, following me in the garage, following me in the yard where it's fenced and getting them to enjoy being close to me. So this way, when I snap a leash on there, we've already got the skills together. I've got eye contact when I ask for it and we're not having an argument on leash. We're not going to be fighting or having a lot of push pull because he already knows the skills. So yeah, when it comes to leashes, keep it simple. You know, six feet is a great length. I like leather and nylon because they're less likely to break. I've seen, and, and you definitely want to check your um, clips, make sure they're not damaged when you're buying the leash because heaven forbid you clip it onto your dog and he sees a squirrel and off he goes and the clip is broken. There are a few leashes out there too that I like. Um, one is still, it's a six foot nylon leash, but it has what we refer to as a traffic loop where it's really close to the collar. So this way, if you're going through a super crowded area and you don't want the dog to get too far away from you, you can hang on to the traffic lead of the leash and you've still got all the, that extra length for when you know, you're out of the crowd or wherever you wanna be. But it's a super helpful little feature. I mean, if you're going to be going to a festival or a highly populated environment, it's nice. It gives the dog security to be closer to you if they're getting overwhelmed. And you, you still, like I said, have the option of giving him the full length of the leash without having two different leashes. So that's something to check out. Okay, so thank you everybody for submitting your questions to the show. I love them. I love your feedback. I'm getting lots of good ideas for shows coming up. In fact, right now we're compiling a list of our listeners and friends of the show to include in an upcoming podcast. So we're really excited about that. It's really important to me for people to hear from others sharing their stories about the dogs that they love. And we'll be sure to include photos of them or videos of them if the owner provides it. So if you're interested in being part of that show, I'd like to hear from you. You can find me at facebook.com slash podcast, and you can send me a message there. Or if you prefer, you can email me directly at you at gmail.com. I just want to thank everybody who has been supportive of the show and the growth of it. It's incredible to me how quickly it is growing. And I'm very proud that we're providing advice and help to 
dog lovers and owners alike all over the country and actually now out of the country. So, so grateful you're listening to us. Keep it up. If you've enjoyed our show, you can go ahead and rate us on iTunes. I'm going to in the show notes include how to do that. And the higher we get rated, the more exposure we get, the more dog lovers and owners we can help. So if you like the show, please share it with friends and family and be sure to rate us so that we can continue building a community of happy, healthy dogs. This has been Victoria, your dog guru. Namaste.